This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, an interesting guest today talking about changing the way we die. And uh, why don't you introduce her and let's move right into that. Okay, sure. I'd love to. Um, As you said, Mom, we're going to talk about changing the way we die today. And our guest is Sheila Himmel. Sheila is a Psychology Today blogger and the co-author of Hungry, a Mother and Daughter Fight Anorexia and Changing the Way We Die. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, The Rob Report, and M Magazine. Welcome to the show, Sheila. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show, Sheila, and I was really interested in your book. It's a, a very good book, Changing the Way We Die, Compassionate End-of-Life Care, and the Hospice Movement. Hospice has changed. I used to be in the hospice uh, movement in the 80s in Rochester, New York. We had 24-hour nursing service paid for by Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, it was uh, a whole different ballgame. We had the volunteers, but it's a whole different ballgame than it is today. Hasn't it become a little more institutionalized? Definitely. Um, And it's it's growing very fast because of, you know, the, the demographics of the American population. But all, all of the growth has been in the um, for-profit side, which certainly in the 80s didn't even exist. Um, so that's been the biggest change. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, VTOS is one of the biggest, right? Right. So tell us why you wrote this book and, and why it interested you to think about uh, changing the way we die. And how, You know, I'm, I'm kind of like almost thinking, isn't it changing back the way we die? Because back in the old days, our families took care of us, and we were at home, and the the country doctor came in and, and had his advice. I mean, it wasn't as sophisticated because we didn't maybe have the pain medication or whatever, some of the other things, but isn't that the way it used to be? No, that that's exactly true. People used, well, people also used to live in multi-generational homes, um, and, and families were much more um, connected geographically. Now we're very spread out and very few, um, you know, people live with three generations. So it's become very unusual to have a death take place in the home. That's why, you know, hospice, it seems like a new thing, but actually, as you say, it's, it's the way it used to be. Um, but to answer your question, um, my co-author and I both lost our fathers around the same time, and we're, we're friends, and we started talking about it. And my um, my father died in, in hospice and her father in the hospital. And comparing our experiences, we were struck by the difference in how, not, not only how our fathers uh, were treated, but how we felt after. Um, so that was sort of the germ of the book. We, were, we kind of got interested and then we started doing research about hospice and found that it was just fascinating um, how widespread hospice has become, that almost half of Americans now die in hospice, yet most of them come to it too late. Right. Uh, I think the average is seven days, right? Right, right. And the median is 19 days, which is still not nearly enough to, you know, to, um, for any of the family to experience the full benefits. Um, 
So we felt like there was room for a book that um, encouraged people to look at the possibilities um, of of hospice or and palliative care, um, you know, earlier in life, and, and particularly like that it's never too early to kind of think about these issues as as your website, you know, talks about as well. Well, also, uh, Sheila, now they're doing all hospice is also doing follow up. Well, well, yeah, with families, right? right. Mm-hmm. No, that, and that's we have um, two chapters in our book are about a group of people who met in a bereavement group, and it's the story is, you know, how they carried on with their lives um, in the coming from a time of, like, the worst point in their lives. They had lost, you know, their partners. And in this group, they all really loved, loved their partners, um, and they were devastated, and nobody wanted to go to a bereavement group. Um, but they did, and, and in fact, three couples, came out of the group, um, but more, you know, more than that even, it's, they are like a family now. They, they found mm-hmm. people who could understand how they were feeling, and they felt free to, you know, express themselves. Now, this is a, this is a bereavement group sponsored by the hospice? Yes. I, I think there are some federal requirements now, aren't there? Yes. Medicare requires um, um, that hospices provide 13 months of bereavement care for the family. Now, um, 13 months is the intention is to help them get through um, the anniversary of, of the death. The problem is hospices define bereavement care in many different ways. Um, the hospice that, that we used when after my, my father died, um, my mother got a phone call, and she, she doesn't even remember who it was from, saying, you know, that they had bereavement care services, and she's like, I don't need that, and that was the end of that. So that's, you know, that some hospices will follow up. Um, some will make sure that the person who calls is somebody that the, the family member knows. Yeah, I was just going to say to you, that's one of the problems, I think, uh, for, you know, if you're only in hospice for seven days, which may not have been the case for your family, but if you are, you almost to follow up, you need to have some kind of a connection and with only seven days, and it's a pretty crisis seven days. If somebody leaves the hospital and goes into hospice, those seven days to die in seven days, it's a, it's not, it's difficult. And, and mom, I've got to say that when my father-in-law was dying, he had cirrhosis, and he was an al- he was he'd been an alcoholic for many years, but he had been on the wagon right before he died. He was treated horribly in the hospital by the doctors because he had cirrhosis. When he moved in, when we got hospice involved, they were amazing. These people came in and very quickly established an incredibly close relationship with my fa- with my in-laws. And he was giving all the nurses, the hospice workers, nicknames like Half Pint, and they became part of the family extremely quickly and let him die with dignity and just gave the family. It was an amazing thing. And then did follow up with my mother in law, made sure that she found a widow support group, which ended up being incredible, and she ended up meeting her boyfriend there. So, I mean, it was an incredible story of, of how hospice can really come in and, and help a family heal in those last days of somebody's life. Well, that, that, you know, we were, when we started doing our research, the other thing that really impressed us was the people who worked in hospice were so passionate, or are so mm-hmm. passionate, about, about their work. And, you know, this is not work they do for, to make a, a lot of money. Um, 
but they're, as you say, they'll come in, they're not judgmental, they're very caring and um, informative. I mean, there's, without judgment, they will help the family. Um, it was so helpful to my family to have somebody come in who'd been through this before and knew what was going to happen and could tell us um, and could tell us, you know, what we might want to do next or not want to do next. And it was all very calm. And um, as you say, um, it, it makes such a difference in the way the family feels after. You know, I, I want to say one of the things that comes up for me right now, because uh, we're basically talking to uh, people who've um, had a loss already, and I would say um, it's so interesting hearing you, your mom, um, Sheila, chose not to follow up. Heidi's mother-in-law chose to because she had that relationship. And I would want to say to people, listen to what you just heard and realize that if you do need follow-up, Get in touch with your hospice. If they, even if it's been a while, uh, find out what resources they've got. And if you need support, it's a place to get it. Don't you think, Sheila? Oh, definitely. And the hospices have groups um, that are very focused on different needs. I mean, they'll have groups for people who've lost a spouse of, of different ages um, and people who've lost a parent or a, a, a relative to suicide. I mean, they're very specific. So... They can, you know, people think, oh, I don't want to go and listen to other people's sad stories. But there's also a saying that every every loss needs a thousand tellings. And um, it's so helpful to go to a place where people um, listen to you, whereas, you know, your family is sort of um, anxious about you moving on. Um, this, this is really a, it's such a helpful thing. If it's been a while, people can get in touch with them. And if they, if it's been too long for you, I mean, maybe it's been over a year, maybe it's been two years, the hospice will help direct you someplace. I mean, they, they will listen. You may have to be a little proactive. But the, the, they'll have groups that are, like, for people who it's been a year or two years, I mean, very specific needs. In fact, I, um, uh, a friend of mine just read our book, and her husband died a year ago, and she had no idea about bereavement groups, and she's now. She said, "I wasn't ready until now." Um, so now she, she's calling um, the local hospice to find, you know, to find out a, a group for her. Um, and I mean, that's really the key thing um, that people people aren't forced to go to these groups. That they go because they need to, and they only you know when you need to. Absolutely, and sometimes uh, for people, there's so much paperwork, so much going on at the time, so many family issues. It, it takes a time to gather. I mean, you you are doing things that you've never done before. So, um, you know, and you're in crisis or you're, you know, in shock with a sudden death or uh, whatever, and it can be pretty sudden because, as I said, some people are only in hospice for seven days. So... I hope that people listening to this show will um, think about the fact and get your book. And Sheila, tell that your book is Changing the Way We Die, Compassionate End-of-Life Care and Hospice Movement. And it's not just about the hospice movement. It's uh, it's about rich stories. It's about hearing about how other people have handled it and what you can do. So, Sheila, tell people where they can get your book. Oh, the website and www.changingthewaywedie.com. Um, and we are on um, Amazon and other, you know, other online providers. 
Um, but again, it's www.changingthewaywedie.com. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for um, being on the show today. And thank you for the work you're doing and for this book. Um, I would just say to people, it's worth picking up and reading, understanding about the hospice movement, understanding what is going on in America today and around the world, but particularly what's going on in your neighborhood about living and dying and the hospice movement. So thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Sheila. Thank you. Well, Heidi, uh, really interesting and uh you know, there's a lot of permutations about the hospice movement. And I think for family members, uh, this is a good read because you kind of have to be proactive sometimes, don't you think? Yes. I just know that the, the hospice was a godsend for our family after Bob, while Bob was dying. And I just can't imagine what it would have been like without hospice there. It was incredible. Well, thanks for listening today and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.